Welcome to Dead Folks Tales. Let's talk about dead people. I am your host, Nola Nash, and this is a copywritten podcast of Authors on the Air Global Radio Network. I am the host of the Crescent City series, which includes both Crescent City Moon and Crescent City Sin, as well as my upcoming release, Traveler, which will be released March 10th of 2022. And I am excited today to be talking with a good friend of mine who's also an author and podcaster as well. So we're going to have some fun sharing the microphone today and talking about authors in residence in the Crescent City in New Orleans. So some authors who are inspired enough by the city to call it home for a while. So we're going to talk about those folks. But in the meantime, I would like to introduce you to this lady. So always so fun, Grace, to have you on a show with me. I thoroughly enjoy having you with me. So ladies and gentlemen. It's great to be here, Nola. Good evening. Good evening. This is Grace Salmon. Grace, um, would you tell the folks a little bit about yourself? Well, I'm an author. I just started a new radio show uh, called The Storyteller, so I'm very, very excited about that. My novel is my fourth book. The first three were in the area of education, so you and I have a lot in common Mm -hmm. in terms of our commitment to education. And My new book is The Eves, and it's the story of realizing that we're never done. I love it. I love it. And it's a great book, y'all. You need to get through the eaves. It is a fantastic read. So Grace and I are here. Um, Grace has spent some time in New Orleans. So we were talking about some of those places that are familiar names as we were watching some of the storms that have been rolling through the Gulf Coast. So um, send in some love out to Texas, Louisiana, um, as they are being hit once again with some foul weather tonight. So keeping them all in our thoughts tonight, but those names that come up um, those are all familiar names to to both of us. So you spent some time down there. Tell us about your time in New Orleans a little bit. Well, I worked in that area. Lafouche, New, I- New Iberia, Baton Rouge, New Orleans, you know, did that Pontchartrain Bridge, the mm-hmm. that longest bridge in the world a million times. And just great, great places. But really, boy, the last few years mm-hmm. have not been kind in the hurricane world. They have not. So sending lots of love to that part of the world. And then I worked in Galveston and in Houston as well. So... Yep. I had an aunt that lived down that way as well. Um, She's now in Alabama, but um, every time it was like, who's it going to (laughs) hit? I mean, and especially when I was down there in Baton Rouge and she was in the Texas area, Houston, Galveston area. I was like, okay, who's, which, which family member is it coming for this time? So always, always keeping an eye on the Gulf coast, especially during hurricane season. So we are sending our, our, our hearts are going out to you and just hoping that everything is okay as you guys weather yet another storm on the Gulf Coast. So without further ado, though, we're going to talk about some literary giants who have called the Crescent City home or at least spent enough time there to really make their mark or have the city make its mark on them and their work. So Grace, being an educator, you've been doing homework. (laughs) I have been doing my homework. So Grace was like, I've been studying this and this and this. She knows more about this than I do now. (laughs) I don't think so. But there are so many fun facts, Nola. Mm -hmm. You know, I didn't know that Mardi Gras didn't start in New Orleans. Who knew it started in Mobile, Alabama? Mobile. That is correct. And that's there's a lot of interesting facts about things that are so traditionally New Orleans that people don't know maybe are not actually originating there. And then a lot of things that originated in New Orleans that people don't realize originated there. So the city is full of mystery. Like dental floss. 
dental floss. Um, we had the first movie theater, the first opera in the United States, the first movie theater in the United States, the first pharmacy in the United yes. States. I mean, all of these things were happening down there in, you know, this, the Crescent City and New Orleans. And people didn't realize that they were very, very ahead of their time at one point. And now they are so full of tradition and so many great things that are going on there that it's inspired so many creative people from artists, musicians, and of course, authors. So we're going to talk about a few of those folks. Now, if you've heard me talk before about places in New Orleans that I absolutely love, um, you will know that Royal Street is one of my favorite places to walk. I love to start at Canal and walk into the quarter. And as I walk down Royal, one of my favorite historic places is the Hotel Montleum. And so the Hotel Montleum is spectacular. It is absolutely beautiful. And it is known for the Carousel Bar. And in this photo of the bar over here on your right, you can see in the background what looks like an actual carousel. And yes, that bar does spin around very slowly. Thank goodness for the folks who are sitting there consuming large amounts of alcohol. Uh, it does go slowly. But the Carousel Bar um, features very prominently in several um, literary works. And so because of the bar's big presence and so many people being drawn to it and its, it's literary presence, the hotel actually has literary suites. So among their many luxury suites at Hotel Montleone, some of them are specific to some of the literary giants that have either mentioned the hotel or the carousel in the hotel in their work or who spent an awful lot of time there and that hotel became very important to them and i love what they've done is they have actually tried to style the suites um, in a way that would be reminiscent of the author themselves their personality things that they liked in that way so the one we're going to start with is the eudora welty suite now i love this too that the hotel Montleone has been awarded the honor of Literary Landmark by Friends of Libraries USA. So here's a hotel known for its bar and its hauntings. Uh, that's actually a literary landmark. So Eudora Welty, she mentioned the hotel bar, of course, Carousel Bar, in her short story, The Purple Hat. Now, this is just a little bit of the little corner of the Eudora Welty suite, but it is a luxury suite with all of the finest amenities in it. But I love the way this is decorated. I love the blue. It just, doesn't it look so posh? Like you could just. Oh, it's really lovely. I love the chandelier. I know. And it's stunning. And as we look at the other suites, you'll realize, let's, we're going to look at the Ernest Hemingway suite because he also mentioned um, the bar in a short story. So moving on to Ernest Hemingway, who spent some time here. Notice that it's very, very posh in the same way. Chandeliers and everything but they have actually changed the interior a little bit. So all of these suites are unique. And so this is Hemingway's suite. And notice that there's the pictures of you know, a little bit more of the kind of that kind of jungle feel that the, the luxury of the, the lushness of the plants and everything in there, which kind of remind us of, of Ernest Hemingway and some of the things that he wrote about and just things that he liked. Um, so the hotel bar was featured in his short story, The Night Before Battle. And so it's kind of appropriate there that his particular suite is located in the section of the hotel that was once occupied 
by Union troops. So that's kind of cool. <laughs> you know, I wasn't, I was really surprised to see how posh that was. I was at his place down in Key West, mm-hmm. which is decidedly not posh quite no. at all. So that's a really interesting contrast. Obviously, it's an upscale hotel. Right. But I'm kind of surprised. Not surprised that he talked about the bar at all. No. <laughs> that but, part we totally get, right? <laughs> but that's a very, very posh place. Mm-hmm. Although I loved his place in Key West with all the cats. Oh, absolutely. But I do love that they pulled in that kind of that lushness of that Key West vibe that he has by pulling in the plants and that green and all yeah. of that, because it does kind of pull you. It's very high end, very, very formal look, which is not necessarily a Hemingway look. But at the same time, it pulls in the lushness of that Key West kind of um, the the garden feel of that. And now, it looked like the desk was very focus there too oh absolutely absolutely and i love the chairs around the fireplace can't you just see him kind of sitting there you know with a drink in his hand you know cognac or whatever it was that he drank Uh well probably more of a whiskey drinker wasn't he um but (laughs) a little little harder than a sipping cognac probably um this is one of my favorite stories um i i actually became a, a more of a truman compote fan because he was the inspiration for the character of dill in To Kill a Mockingbird. And Harper Lee and Truman Capote kind of grew up together. And so Truman Capote, really more than his own work, it's because he inspired Dill, and I love that character, Uh in To Kill a Mockingbird. But Truman Capote has a suite as well at the Hotel Monteleone. And that's because he would love to tell the story that he was born in the hotel. Well, Truman Capote being Truman Capote, much like the character Dill, tended to stretch the tree just a wee bit. Um, And Truman Capote was not born in the hotel. However, his mother was staying there when her water broke. And so they did get her transportation to Turo Hospital, where Truman Capote was indeed born. He was actually born at the hospital, but he was born in New Orleans. Um, And so we have the Truman Capote suite, which, of course, kind of encompasses some of his style as well so there's Truman Capote's and we have another one and he tried to be born in the hotel he tried really hard (laughs) (laughs) really hard to be born in the hotel and he decided you know who only the hotel will tell the truth he's just gonna go tell the media he was born in the hotel Montleone um and why not you know what a great story I would tell it (laughs) if I could So Faulkner is another one. We're going to talk about another Faulkner spot. um, And I'll let Grace tell you a little bit more about the other Faulkner spot when we get to it. But Faulkner loved New Orleans as well. And when he was receiving the French Legion of Honor Award, he stayed in the Hotel Montleone in 1951. And so we have the Faulkner suite. And again, the style has changed just a little bit here to reflect the the author himself and so a bit more formal a bit more sedate and yet at the same time you know those those chairs that you just feel like you could sink down into so i i love the faulkner suite as well they're stunning and our final one is the tennessee williams suite now tennessee williams is kind of a big deal in new orleans um he has the tennessee williams literary festival that goes on every year and I'm, i would love to go in march i'm really hoping um that everything is is good to go for that festival to be in person in march and i'm just i really really want to go um but, but one of the things they have that you can take a look at is the tennessee williams suite in the hotel Montleone, and he featured the hotel 
in his play, The Rose Tattoo. So there is Tennessee Williams. And again, way more posh and formal than <laughs> what we know of some of the other places that Tennessee Williams actually lived in New Orleans. And we'll see a, a couple of those here. And so which suite would you want to stay in, Nola? I think, honestly, the Eudora Welty. I agree. I love the Eudora Welty suite. And I, I think agree. my second one is probably the Hemingway suite. I just love that soft green. And I mean, it was really, really pretty. But Eudora Welty, I don't know. There's just something about that suite that just calls me. I love it. I really do. What about you? Well, I agree with you entirely. We'll book those rooms and then we'll like mm -hmm. switch back and forth. Okay. <laughs> I think that'd be great. Yeah. We'll book two nights. We'll trade halfway. There we go. <laughs> I think that's an excellent plan. Totally down with that. And we'll have to go for the Tennessee Williams Festival. And then Perfect. We'll, we'll book the rooms. So Tennessee Williams, now that was the Tennessee Williams suite, all posh and luscious. Uh, but here are two of the places that he lived. And I have one more for you. Um, so he lived at 632 and a half St. Peter. Um, and this is where he wrote Streetcar Named Desire. And it is said that he loved this apartment on St. Peter because he could actually hear the bells for the streetcar that ran down Royal Street at the time. And so it was the streetcar bells that inspired, of course, the streetcar named Desire. And during the Tennessee Williams Festival, you can line up with a bunch of folks that are at the festival and they have a Stella shouting contest. <laughs> So you can stand here in front of this house and yell Stella at the top of your lungs, which is so fun. And I want to oh, go do that fun. really bad. And, I really want to do that. And I heard that one of the streetcars that went by said cemeteries, and then the other one said something else. And he, he was mm -hmm. so engaged by the juxtaposition of these streetcars going back and forth. That's how he got the idea for the story. Absolutely. And it's just fascinating when you look at just the life that is in the French Quarter and how that can inspire things as well. And he did live in that apartment for a little while. He lived also here at 727 Toulouse, which is now the Hotel Maison de Ville. And so you can actually stay here as well. It's a, it is a hotel. You can book a room at the Hotel Maison de Ville, which is where he lived for a while. But the place that he hoped that he would die in his sleep in his brass bed in his apartment was at 1014 Dumaine. And he did not die here. He actually died in a hotel apartment in New York City. But where he really wanted to spend his final moments uh, was in this house on Dumaine. Sadly, he did not get that dying wish. Um, but the house bears a plaque at least commemorating what he was hoping for. Um, so you know, the story is, you know, that there's the brass bed and there are photographs. I mean, he spent a lot of time in that house in on Dumain doing a lot of his writing. And so there are photographs of him doing doing work inside that apartment. And I believe that there's even there might even be a photograph of the brass bed. I'm not sure that that he was hoping that he would he would pass his final moments in. So God, I love it's the great that there's stories. so many of these that are preserved and mm -hmm. that we can go and stay there or visit there. That's I know I'm a little bit of an author groupie now, so I love that I can go and stand in those places. And it's really incredible that you can in some of these cities, especially in New Orleans. And that's one of the things that I love about this city is as much as it changes, it also stays the same. And so things may move in and out of these buildings and maybe the plaster on the outside changes color. But for the most part, the city that was there when these people were there still exists. 
And you really are walking in the footsteps of these giants because this is the city that inspired them. It's the city that inspired me. I mean, I dedicated the Crescent City, the first book in the Crescent City series, Crescent City Moon, is dedicated to the city of New Orleans because it does feel like it has a living, breathing heartbeat. It has a soul. It, it is its own character. And I just love that that the city brings such inspiration to people and that you can find the same inspiration that, you know, Ernest Hemingway found and Faulkner found in and Nolan Nash city. Found. and Nolan Nash found in this city. I just wanted to put your name right up there with Thank all the you. other <laughs> <laughs> Lillian Hellman. Just stick me up there with all those folks. Now, I was not inspired to become a steamboat captain, uh, um, such as, you know, Mark Twain was <laughs> when he went to New Orleans. Um, he decided, you know, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to be a steamboat captain. That's what I'm going to do. This is how Mark Twain ended up with you know, life on the Mississippi, where it's where we got Huckleberry Finn. And all of this was his trip up the Mississippi River. And some of that was inspired, of course, by New Orleans. And he was truly fascinated by New Orleans. There's lots of great Mark Twain quotes about the city of New Orleans. There's a lot of great quotes from some of the people that we have actually mentioned here so far. Um, that are, you know, there's a great Tennessee Williams quote about New Orleans. You can look up, if you look up author quotes about New Orleans, you'll get like nine pages of Goodreads quotes <laughs> of all oh, these amazing. people who have mentioned New Orleans either in their writing or just things that they have said. Um, Mark Twain said that the food in New Orleans is as is del is, is delicious as some of the less heinous forms of sin. And it's something that's a very loose translation of it. Yes, it was, it was wonderful. I was like, I, every time I land in Louis Armstrong Airport, I just think I gain, gain 10 pounds from oh. the boy boys. I don't even have to eat it. It's just no. affixed to my body. It does. It sort of just gloms on. <laughs> you can't do anything about it. I've got a poor boy over here. I've oh. got a beignet over here. Yes. Absolutely. I mean, it's everywhere and it is so good and you, you can't get away from it. Um, I can imagine all of these writers you know, between the bars and the food and sitting there at a typewriter writing. They're either, you know, not eating for days because they're immersed in their work or they're wandering around going from restaurant and restaurant <laughs> bar to bar, putting on you know, 20 pounds while they're thinking through the plot line of their book and probably along the way picking up some great characters because, of course, you know, you, you can't walk 10 feet in New Orleans without a real life character walking by. And as a writer, that is a gold mine. <laughs> that is the best way to come up with characters is to have them just stroll past. Well, one of the things I found so fun, Nola, in thinking about coming tonight was that the city of New Orleans is just amazing kind of like that movie Woody Allen's movie of Midnight in Paris where there's all the writers studios and writers um, mm -hmm. different groups and to think that Mark Twain and Lillian uh, uh, Lillian Hamlin Hellman were in the same place and they were having these salons where they got together yep. I want to put all the different authors from all the different time periods together Wouldn't and have a that be a dinner party oh my gosh amazing <laughs> and there were some amazing female writers in that group too there were there really were and that's that's one of the great things about the city is it was so open to the creatives regardless of gender at that time and and really and truly some of the times that some of these people were there and then they were writing were really coming into women kind of taking their own place 
in literature. I mean, for so many years, I mean, you know, all through the 1800s, if, if you were a woman and you were writing, that was nearly scandalous. It certainly wasn't respected as much, especially in the United States. Some of our, our English women were getting a little bit more recognition, but even so, not really until after they died, you know, but some of these women that were part of this consortium of writers that was really building and bubbling up in New Orleans at the time, it was great to see that empowerment and that, that inclusion among that group. And think about the inspiration and just the work that came out of that simply by being in the company of such great talent. I mean, it, it just, it starts to magnify, when you start to get that kind of talent in a room, it starts to magnify everyone. You know, it, it is kind of like the, you know, the rising tide lifts all boats. And so it's just, it would had to have been an incredible, incredible thing. I mean, just to be listening, even not being part of it, I would love to have just been sitting there at, you know, at the table next to them at the bar and listening to all the conversations that bar. were going on. Yeah, <laughs> just going round and round and round. <laughs> You know, they'd be at one of the tables, but we'll be going around. We'll catch snippets. <laughs> well, and there were just such amazing stories of feminism that came out. You know, even in the late 1800s, you've got that amazing book by Kate Chopin, I think it is, called okay. The Awakening. Yep. And, you know, it has a very tragic end for the main character. But if you look at Hellman's plays about the little foxes and mm -hmm. such really forerunners of what women will really encounter when they started shaking up that boat and wrestling with uh, traditional norms. Absolutely. We're going to get to one, a New Orleans powerhouse female here in just a minute. But one thing that I wanted to talk about is, of course, Faulkner House Books and William Faulkner. So while he had the room, you know, he has the suite at the Hotel Monteleone. If you really want to connect with Faulkner, this is where you go. So if you walk down the side of the, if you kind of pass Pirate's Alley, okay, so you've got St. Peter is, <clears throat> it flanks the, um, the Cabildo. So if you walk down St. Peter, and you cross Pirate's Alley and you hang a left, like you run into the cathedral wall <laughs> and then you hang a left, you're immediately going to come to this tiny little hole in the wall um, with these beautiful little doors and this arched doorway. And it is Faulkner House Books. And this is this bookstore. So this is where Faulkner lived and he wrote A Soldier's Pay. Now, there was an interesting fact about <laughs> Faulkner and A Soldier's Pay. It, this was not his first book. And it was not a successful book. <laughs> well, you know, my favorite part about the fact that his house is now a bookstore is just sweet enough. But I love that it's off of Pirate's Alley, of right? Course. So it brings that whole New Orleans thing together. Yes. It's right, you know, because the pirates helped win the war. And oh, sure. I just. I just love that it's on Pirate's Alley. But I also love that Faulkner, you know, who is so well known for, you know, Sound and the Fury and Here I Lay Dying and all these amazing books. Those were books that he wrote and were totally unsuccessful until, mm -hmm. what was it, Nola's sixth book that yes. start, started getting a little traction. Yep. And now nobody remembers the name of that book. It's no. his earlier books. Exactly. So that's that was always a, a that's a great inspiration for mm -hmm. me to just say keep writing keep writing yes. your later books will sell your earlier books exactly and you know it could be because those were a little dark <laughs> but you know it is kind of that testament to tenacity on his part now Faulkner being next to Pirates Alley uh, probably no coincidence in that 
he was a little bit of a troublemaker in the city as well. So we think about Faulkner being a little stuffy. You know, we had to read As I Lay Dying and, you know, in high school or whatever. And oh, I don't want to have to read Faulkner. I love Faulkner, by the way. Um, <laughs> one of those. But he would go out and get in a little bit of trouble. And, you know, that's kind of par for the course for some of what these did he people. Do? He would just, he'd go out to like bars and stuff and he'd get in fights and just, you know, he would, he'd get a little rowdy. And there was just kind of this group of folks that were a little, you know, loose around the edges and they all got a little rowdy down in the quarter. So he wasn't, you think of him as this very, I'm William Faulkner and I have these big words and these long sentences and it's now William Faulkner was not causing trouble in the French quarter too. That's so. true. All those pictures we see of him, he's quite, he's very, very, very sedate. Yes. Yeah, very stern. Very, very, I'm all about writing and words and intellectualism, but later tonight, I'm going <laughs> to be in the circular park. Yes, absolutely. So I love, I love Faulkner House Books. If you get a chance to stop in, um, it is a like a two room bookstore. It is tiny and they have a great selection of books. They're very carefully curated and just what a great way to connect with the great literary figures is to kind of be in that place where he was. Um, there are legends that you can uh, smell the cigar smoke and pipe smoke from Faulkner and every now and then kind of hear little sounds that are you know not coming from nowhere in particular so people say that maybe Faulkner left a little bit of his spirit there um because he connected so much with the city and that place so there we go but speaking of powerful women I want to that's not the one I wanted to click this is the one I want to click ah. Anne Rice we cannot talk about authors in New Orleans without mentioning Anne Rice and of course Y'all, if you've read my books, you know that Anne Rice clearly um, was an early influence of mine still today. She's one of my favorites and absolutely love her books and just love her persona in the city of New Orleans, her love of the city, her attachment to the city and how she brought that city just to the forefront in literature and of course in pop culture with the interview with a vampire mayfair witches you know the, the vampire chronicles of course just really brought that city into um this the, that part of it into focus for pop culture and her house that she lived in and she had several properties in the new orleans area but the one that most people um notice and of course because it has appeared in many of her books is her house at 1239 first street which is in the garden district not in the french quarter she lived in the garden district and it was the inspiration for the mayfair mansion in the Mayfair Witches books. And so there are lots of famous scenes that happen in the house in the Mayfair Witches books. And of course it was her house. She was writing about her own house. Um, she did some great things. She um, she had a, her own funeral, like her own jazz funeral. She was very much alive, but she decided she wanted to know what her own jazz funeral was going to be like, I guess. I can't remember the, the reasoning behind it. I would love to have Anne on the show and ask her. Um, but she was actually paraded through the city in her own coffin. Um, and what a, what an experience when you're Anne Rice, you can do that. <laughs> I love it. She I, should I so her. be on your show. It's she. It's her name is so synonymous with New Orleans it is. and your your genres. Oh, she'd be a great oh, guest. I would love to hear what stories. I mean, we know her stories have gone on to inspire others, including myself. But I would love to know what her favorite legends and stories are about this city and and just. You know, what it was like being part of that and, and bringing that culture 
of the city and that kind of dark side of the city. Everybody had that the party side of the city. We had Mardi Gras and that you know that vibe and the history, but she really is responsible for pulling the the paranormal and the metaphysical side, you know, with the vampires and the witches into pop culture. And so, I mean, we can very much attribute that to her. And Absolutely. just what a great legacy to have in the literary world and pop culture world. I would love to know kind of what that was like for her just to kind of watch all of that happen and get to make all of that happen. Well, so, also yes. just to experience her funeral coming by with her in the casket. I know. <laughs> it's kind of like Nic Nicholas Cage built his um, yeah. tomb there already, right? So. Yes, he does. He has his tomb there. It's that that very modern pyramid smack in the middle of St. Louis Cemetery number one. So likely with red lipstick prints on it that that's they have to really watch that now they've got to be kind of a problem women in red lipstick kissing nick cage's tomb so <laughs> oh my um well grace you're gonna have to come on and talk about some more stuff and things that that inspired you and when you were down there and and some more stories and anytime it's a delight Oh, our, our podcast time goes by so fast. I could sit and talk to folks all night long. It is so hard to cut it off at, at the right time because there's so much about this city that I love to talk about and explore. And I particularly love it when I have my dear friends on to chat with me as well. So this has truly been a pleasure. And I want you guys to go check out Grace's books. Well, Grace's book, her, her fiction book. We have her nonfiction education-based books, but of course her novel that is out, The Eves, and it is a fantastic story. I do hope that you will check that out. And your podcast is Storytellers, correct? It's, it's the Storytellers, and you can uh, catch it on my website. It airs in 145 countries, and I've had the privilege of reading Travelers, which will be out in March. I loved yeah. it. You, you really did a great job with that. I Thank look forward you. to it coming out in real life. Thank you. And thank you for, for being an early reader on that book. That one is, is truly, um, that was a labor of love as well. It has nothing to do with New Orleans, but everything to do with um, kind of the same soul. It's, it's got a very similar soul to it. And, and I just, it was a fun book to write. So I'm, I'm really glad you enjoyed it. Thank you for that. Very I much. appreciate that. And this has been a copywritten podcast of Authors on the Air Global Radio Network. This has been Dead Folks Tales, produced by Pam Stack, our executive producer. And of course, our producer, Roman Sirotin, who helps out with our audio and video. We are grateful that you tuned in, whether you are listening on your favorite podcast platform, or if you were watching us on Facebook or YouTube. Thank you so much for joining us. And we will see you next time on Dead Folks Tales. Dancing on the high, oh, oh.